certainly trust we're thankful for another opportunity to be in the house of the Lord and to come and attempt to worship Him. We trust in spirit and in truth to sing praises unto the Lord and pray unto Him and honor Him with our presence, to honor Him with our attention to the preaching of the Word of God and our attendance into the service of God in general. Um, we sang the song before the last hymn, uh, <clears throat> He Leadeth Me. Um, <clears throat> just want to remind you of uh, some of these verses. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whatever I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Sometimes mid scenes of deepest gloom, sometimes where Eden's bowers bloom, <clears throat> by waters still, or over troubled sea, still tis thy hand that leadeth me. Lord, I would clasp thy hand in mine, nor ever murmur or repine, content Whatever lot I see, since tis my God that leadeth me. Uh, Lord, be my helper. I'd like to try to look at some of the thoughts in this third verse. This is chalk full of truth. All these verses that I've read. <clears throat> I'd like to try to talk to you about contentment today and not murmuring and complaining realizing that the Lord is leading us along life's journey notice the third verse again Lord I would clasp thy hand in mine nor ever murmur nor repine content whatever lot I see why since tis my God that leadeth me. We forget that God's leading us along life's path, taking care of us. We can give over, we can, we can start murmuring and complaining. And do you know why people murmur and complain? It's because they're not content. A lack of contentment brings about well, if you're discontent, that's when we murmur and complain, right? Because we don't like how things are, and so we complain. Do you know anybody that ever complains? So look, just look in the mirror, if you're like me. Just look in the mirror. Complaining, murmuring, and the Bible uses both words. Murmuring and complaining. It's not a good thing, and it's a sign of discontentment. Well, I'm not content with how things are going. I'm not content with how other people are doing, especially if they're treating me bad. I'm not content. The Bible has a lot to say about this subject. And we begin reading in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that, that uh, word contentment, I believe, is used three times in the New Testament. One of the times 
We're going to focus more on the other two, if the Lord be our helper this morning. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Remember two weeks ago we mentioned Job, I believe, that he... He said that he lost all that he had. He says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He came into this world with nothing. He's leaving this world with nothing. And that's how every one of us is going to go. We didn't bring anything in with us. And we're not taking anything out with us either. For we brought nothing into this world. And it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith let us be there with content. Be content with such things as we have. Having food and raiment, therewith be content. They, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. I'll keep reading there because I want to get down to the word covet. <clears throat> People a lot of times want more things. You know, the last the last uh, command of the Ten Commandments is not to covet after a, a person's not only wife, but his lands, his farm, his different things that he has. The reason that we might be guilty of covetousness is we want some things that we don't have. It could be that it could be material things, but it also could be fame and, and wealth and notoriety. Some people covet out a lot of different things. They covet different things because they're not content or satisfied with that which they have. So he's saying here that contentment with godliness is great gain. And he's particularly talking about material things here. All right, there's two other places, and we're going to be looking at those. And uh, Hebrews chapter 13 is the other one of the other places. Hebrews 13. <coughs> and then the other place we're going to go is Philippians chapter 4. All right, so Hebrews... 13, verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. And that word conversation doesn't just talk about what you're saying. It's your manner of life. Let your life be without covetousness. <clears throat> Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. Remember, we looked in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It talked about coveting things, riches, right? In the same context of being content. Well, we see it again. Covetous versus contentment. Because we desire these things. He says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper I will not fear what man shall do unto me. This teaching of covetousness here, or this of contentment here, isn't just related to things that we have. 
He's, sometimes we have a situation. Be content with such things as you have. That's not always mean material things. Sometimes I can have a difficulty. Sometimes I can have, you know, different things going on in my life. Alright? And that's further proved that it's related more to, more than just material things by continually reading. He says, that uh, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I'll not fear what man shall do unto me. Alright? So I'm in a situation where action's going on. I might be afraid of what people might do, but I'm to trust in the Lord because He's promised to never leave me nor forsake me. I can be content. Now let's look at the next verse in the next place in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, or actually Philippians chapter 4, excuse me. The Apostle Paul is writing the church at Philippi. And he's commending them that their financial assistance, or their helping him with means of, of substance, of living, that it's flourished again. That's the context. Alright? He says, <clears throat> verse 10, let's start reading verse 10. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, whereof ye were careful, but ye lacked opportunity. But then he says, not that I speak in respect of want. Alright? He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He says, I know both how to be abased I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Back at this hymn that we just sang, we see some of those same elements. He says, sometimes in scenes of deepest gloom, but sometimes where Eden's bowers bloom, that's a good place. Or it could be by water still. You know, the 23rd Psalm, lead me by the still waters, right? Be a nice place. By water still or over troubled sea. See, the good and the bad. You see, still content in whatsoever lot I see. Why? Since tis my God that leadeth me. Alright? So Paul is saying basically the same thing. See, the writer of that hymn, he didn't just dream up some of these thoughts. He got them out of the Word of God. He understood some things and he had learned some things that Paul said he had learned. He says, I know whatever state I'm in, whatever lot, my, that's another way of saying whatever lot it be. Whatever state I'm in, whatever lot there is, whatever circumstance I am, I'm in, I have learned to therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Based, abound. I know how to, uh, everywhere and all things, I'm instructed both to be full, be hungry, to abound, and to suffer need. Alright? The good and the bad. Whatever lot I see. But that's something that he learned. He learned that. That's not something we come equipped with. I guarantee you, Contentment is not something that we're born in the world with. And if you've ever had or raised a family and had little ones, you know quite 
uh, well that very quickly when they want something to eat, I mean, they're not very content and they let you know about it, right? A little murmuring and crying and complaining going on. They can't use words, but they're, they're complaining. I'm hungry, feed me. And you got to give them something to eat. All right? Contentment is something that is learned. Contentment. And we already said, and we saw it in the song too, neither will I murmur. I'm not going to murmur, but I'm going to be content. We said it before, I'll say it again, that murmuring and complaining is a sign of discontentment. So when I'm murmuring and complaining, I'm telling you and everybody else that I am not content with the state that I'm in right now. Or maybe I'm not content with the society in which I live, right? I'll murmur and I'll complain about the state of the government, the state of decline of morality in this country. I can complain a lot of, about a lot of things. I can complain about how people's treating me. I can complain, <clears throat> you know, notice I'm usually complaining about somebody else, right? <laughs> not complaining much about myself. I'm complaining about other folks. I'm complaining about circumstances. I'm murmuring and complaining. What does the Bible say? If I'm murmuring and complaining, I am not content. We're told in actually Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, do all things without murmurings. And disputings. He's telling me not to be a murmurer or a complainer. Alright? Complain. First Corinthians chapter 10. You like being around people that complain? Well, when you say no, I really don't. Don't forget to look in the mirror because we do plenty much complaining ourselves, right? Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we find a list of events in the wilderness of God's people Israel and some things that He had against them that He faulted them for and He brought judgment against for. And we begin reading right here in verse 6 says, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. You know, the thing, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. It says over in uh, 15th chapter of Romans. <clears throat> that we through comfort uh, of the scriptures might have hope. What things were written and recorded in the Old Testament, those are good lessons for us. Those are examples unto us. That's what he's saying here. Now he says... The things which, uh, now these things were our examples. Let, well, if, if you start reading the whole scripture here of the 10th chapter, I kind of started in and he talks about, remember brethren, look in verse 1. Moreover brethren, I would that ye should not be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did eat the same spiritual meat, and did uh, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That was uh, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. He's just described some things that happened to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. 
Coming across the Red Sea. Coming into the land. Alright? He says these things, God was displeased with a lot of those things and overthrew them in the wilderness. And He's saying the things that happened to them are our examples. Alright? That we should not lust after evil things like they did. See, these things are examples. We should take heed. These things are written for us. He says, neither, he says, not, verse 7, neither be idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You know, they made that calf right there. Uh, verse 8, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and that means examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world are come. Notice he mentions several things in there that God was very displeased. He was not well pleased. He was displeased, and he brought judgment upon this people in the wilderness. Well, what were they? That, uh, verse 7 is idolatry. Number 8, verse 8, committing fornication. 9, tempting Christ. You sound, say, those sound, sound, sound real bad, all those things. Well, what's the next one? Murmuring. Boy, right in there with fornication and idolatry is murmuring. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Why were they murmuring? They were not content with the situation they found themselves in. And it manifested itself by murmuring and complaining. See, the God, God, God brought judgment upon them because they were murmuring, but also because they were complaining. They were complaining and murmuring because they were not content. Alright? You say, well, where did that happen? Turn with me. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 11. Numbers 11. It says, and when the people complained. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And I'll submit to you, that in this place, there's plenty of murmuring and complaining that the children of Israel did. This doesn't say exactly why they did it. Or why they were murmuring. What were they murmuring about? Or complaining about? Right after this, they were murmuring and complaining because they didn't have anything to eat. So God gave them their desire. And uh, they didn't just have a little bit of quail, but they had quail there on all the ground that it stank. And they ended up realizing they didn't want all this meat. But anyway, the point is they were murmuring and complaining. When they complained, it displeased the Lord. 
Over in the book of Jude, we'll get one more verse. I want to go to the Old Testament. In the book of Jude, there's a description of people who are, verse 13 says, raging waves of the sea, foaming at their own shame, wandering stars, to whom the is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Enoch spake of these, of judgment that's going to come upon these kinds of folks. Okay, these, these are unsaved folks, alright? Do you know what one of the characteristics of these folks are? Murmuring and complaining. You know, we've got depravity sin in our members, right? We're not immune to murmuring and complaining. But here's, I, I want to get this verse for, for a moment, uh, for a specific thing. Enoch also, also, verse 14, the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of the saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them, these are ungodly among them, of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The Verse 16, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. And the reason I wanted to go there is, they're murmurers and complainers, Walking after their own lusts. In other words, they're walking after their own desires. This really hits to the heart of why we can complain. It's because I'm not getting what I want according to my own lust. It could be lust for food, drink, fame, respect. I can complain because, you know, my wife doesn't give me respect. The folks down at the job doesn't give me respect and I can complain. I'm not getting what I think I should, you see. I'm not getting what I want. I'm just trying to show us there is a reason that we complain. We tried to preach last time on being resigned to the Lord's will. Go to now ye that say today and tomorrow we'll go into such a city and buy and sell and, and get gain over there in James chapter 4. He says, you know not what tomorrow will be. We ought to say if the Lord wills. We talked about trying to be resigned to God's will, right? This ties in very closely. You remember Eli was under the judgment of God and God was going to judge his house for the sin that he knew his sons were doing and he didn't restrain them. And when he found out from Samuel that judgment was coming upon on his house for his sin, which he knew, He said, what did he say? It's the Lord, let him do what seemeth him good. You see a measure of contentment even in judgment? It's the Lord, you know, the Lord's in charge. And what I want to get to here is that we should should be able to be content because we know that God is walking with us. Tis the Lord who leads us. He's leading us along life's path. All right? But Eli was content. That's why I didn't murmur, murmur and complain. When Samuel said, God's going to judge your house, did you hear him murmuring and complaining? No. He was content with the Lord working out whatever the Lord wanted to work out. You remember David running out from his life. From Absalom we covered. And uh, he told Zadok the priest, you take the ark back into the city. If, it's, if it be the Lord's will, he'll bring me back to Jerusalem. But if he's saying to David, I have no delight in thee, behold, here I am, 
Let the Lord do what seemeth Him good. See, God's the one's in control. He's the one that's working out His will in my life. He wants me to live around in the caves again. I'm ready to do that. See, He was content. He didn't murmur. He didn't complain. Because He was resigned to God's will. He realized it was God that was leading Him. Leading Him down life's path. And when we forget that God is leading us down the path, of our life, we can become discontent because, and we can start murmuring and complaining. Discontentment of ourself and our situation is manifest by how we complain and murmur. You see, we murmur and complain when we don't get our way. Because we don't like that word murmur, right? We'll say, you know, we come up with different words for things in society, right? Well, you know, I'm, excuse me, I was just venting. Right? I had to call up so and so. I was just venting. What that? What, what do you mean venting? I was complaining. Right? When we vent, that doesn't sound so bad. I was just venting. Well, yeah, you're murmuring and complaining. Oh well, don't say it like that. I'm just venting. Everybody vents, right? I vent to my girlfriend, my 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 whatever, my my spouse. I'm just venting. Oh, you're just murmuring and complaining. Okay. It's a sign of discontentment. But Paul said in Philippians, I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in therewith to be content. And he, let me get back over there. He says something very important. He says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. We have two teaching terms in these verses. I've learned and I was instructed. And I'm going to tell you one of the purposes that God's leading us along in life is to wean us away from self. And being, have, be self-willed, we want to do God's will. And from having everything like we want them and be content with God's will for our life. And that we would submit to God's providence and realize that He's the one on the throne. And without Him, I can do nothing. And God is leading us down the journey of our path. That song said, I'm not going to murmur and complain. I'm going to be content because it's the Lord that's leading me. Alright? And we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we've just seen that some of those things that happened in the Old Testament were there for examples for our learning that we should not do like they did and murmur, commit fornication, go into idolatry. Those things are over there for our learning and they're written for our admonition and God preserved them uh, for us today so we would learn from some of those things. So let's go back to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. I want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. You remember the children of Israel, they came out of Egyptian bondage. And you remember, they were murmuring and complaining the whole time until they got to Numbers 13 to Kadesh Barnea and they were going into the land. They were going to supposed to go in. They sent spies into the land, right? And they were going to go 
take the country. You know, the Lord says, I'll be with you and you're going to defeat them. You're going to inherit the land. But he said, you've tempted me now these ten times. You're not going to go in. You're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years to all those 20 years and older have died. And I'm going to bless your children to go into this land. Well, 40 years have passed as we pick them up in Deuteronomy chapter 8. 40 years, that 40 years of wandering has passed. The book of Deuteronomy takes place in the plains of Moab, uh, which were right by the Jordan River. Canaan's on the other side. And Moses gets up and he reminds the children of Israel what God had done with them for those 40 years. We begin reading in verse 2. And thou shalt remember all the way in which the Lord thy God led thee. Don't forget that. Led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. To humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. He just said right there that God has led you. Don't forget. Remember that God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Alright? To humble thee, to prove thee. To know what was in your heart. In other words, there's tests in life that come along. God can bring us tests and exams in the school of life. We're in a school. Remember what we read over there in Philippians. We read, read over there that I've learned. Sounds like someone's in school, right? He says, I'm in everywhere and in all things. He said, everywhere I am and in all things that happen unto me. He says, I'm instructed. I'm instructed. That's how he learned to be content. Because he realized that he's in God's school. These people are in school. They're in the school of life. And God is leading them down the journey of your life. And my friends, God is leading us. Let's just keep reading though here for a moment. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. To do what? To humble thee. To prove thee. To know what was in thine heart. Whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and, and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna that thou mightest know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. See, God would bring them to a place they didn't have any. He would suffer them to hunger and then he'd feed them. Do you know what God's teaching them? That your sustenance comes from me. You're dependent upon me. Uh, we, we read this morning in the, the, the study about how God, He says, I feed the, the sparrows, I clothe the fields, I'm going to clothe and feed you. God's going to feed us, He's going to take care of us. And don't forget, as we're trying to talk about this subject this morning, don't forget Hebrews chapter 13, He says, let us be content with such things as we have, for I have promised, for He hath promised, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. There's a key right there. Because we'll forget that the Lord's leading us, that the Lord's guiding us, that the Lord's carrying us along, then we can become very discontent with our situation when we put God out of the picture and think we're, you know, just all this stuff's happening and God is not superintending the things that come to pass, uh, whether it be good or evil in my life. God has control over those things. He's leading us. He says, I'll never leave you. That means He's always with you. He says, I'll never forsake you. That means He always takes care of you. And He always will. Alright? 
But let's just look at the children of Israel. We, you know, First Corinthians ten says that they're an example. These things are written for our example. All right, let's turn over and look and see this people that came out of Egypt. Let's turn with me to Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter fourteen. The children of Israel have. Uh, Exodus 13, we'll read a little bit. Exodus 13, 20. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in, in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. Now they've just left after those, those mighty plagues that God brought on the Egyptians. They came out with a high hand, spoiled the Egyptians with wealth, and now they're coming out. And the Lord, verse 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of the cloud to lead them in the way, and by the night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by the day and night, and he took not away the pillar or the cloud by day, nor from the pillar, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. See, God's leading them along. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pahiroth between Migdal and the sea, over against Beelzephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. What do you mean, and they did so? God told Moses where they were to go camp. Between Migdal and the sea, it's a very specific place over against Beelzephon by the Red Sea. He told them exactly where to camp, and he also told them the Pharaoh's going to come up behind you. So they camped right where God said, and just like God said, Pharaoh came up behind them with the Egyptian army and surrounded them. And uh, <coughs> verse 10 14.10, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of the Egypt? Is, did, is this not the word which we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in this wilderness. What are they doing? They're murmuring and complaining. Oh, you've sent us out here to die. We're going to die. Why'd you bring us out here? We wanted to stay back. What do they go? They start a murmuring and complaining. Instead of thinking... That God, this is God that's leading us along and He just brought us out of Egyptian bondage by these ten mighty plagues, came out with a high hand and God is our deliverer. God is our strength. God's going to take care of us because He's promised to always be with us. He's taking care of us. He's leading us along life's journey. They didn't say that. They started looking at their circumstances. They kind of forgot about God. And they started looking at the enemy. Oh, we're going to die. They looked at their circumstance apart from God who has all power in heaven and earth that does His will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? They didn't think about that. They didn't think about that God is the, their strength. 
He's their high tower. He's their defense. God's going to take care of us. They weren't trusting in the Lord with all their heart and leaning not to their own understanding, but in all their ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct our path, as it says in Scripture we should do. They were trusting the whole, you know, this looks like we're going to die. Well, you know what happened. God came, God brought them to a place where they couldn't save themselves and then He saved them. God brought them to a place providentially where they realized they can't depend upon themselves. We're dead. And He delivered them. He had Moses raise up that rod. God parted the sea. That Red Sea stood walls of water congealed on the side. They went through dry shod to the other side. And that pillar of fire stood before, between the Egyptians and the uh, uh, Israelites as they was making their path across. Well, they got across. And you know what they did after they got across? They sang the song of Moses. Turn to the next chapter, chapter 15. Verse 14, 13 says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great works which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. Then sang Moses, the children, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake saying, and as I read this, compare what they were saying before they went across the Red Sea as to what they're saying now. Remember before? They were murmuring and complaining, well, we're going to die. You brought us out here to die. We should have stayed in Egypt. They're saying something completely different now that God delivered them across. They sang the song of Moses saying what? I will sing unto the Lord, for He hath triumphed gloriously. The Lord and His rider hath He thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. They weren't saying that on the other side of the sea, were they? No, they weren't. Not at all. But now they're saying, the Lord's our strength. He's our song. He's become my salvation. Verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord in His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the, uh, the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them and sank under the bottom. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. Look at verse 12. Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swalloweth them. Thou in thy mercy hath led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. And I'll notice in verse 14. You know what they're saying? Not only saying God's our man of war. Not only is he our salvation. He's our all and our all. He's our defender and all that. He, they're acknowledging. He says here in verse 13. He says, Thou in thy mercy hast led forth thy people. Thou hast guided them in their strength. He's saying, Lord, you're leading us. Lord, you're guiding us. Alright? They, you, you know why, why they were not content with the Egyptians on the other side of the sea? And they're pinned in? Because they forgot who it was that was leading them down the journey of their life. That's right. They lost sight of God who said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Be content with such things as we have. For he had said, I will never leave thee 
nor forsake thee. I cannot stress that too much today. If you don't listen to anything I've said or remember anything I say today, remember that He hath promised to never leave us nor forsake us. We can be content with His will. That He is, that He is leading us down the journey of our path. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 9, talking about Jacob says, Jacob, the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. It says, He found Jacob in a waste howling wilderness. He led him about and instructed him and kept him as the apple of his eye. You, you, that's a good passage to meditate on this afternoon. He found Jacob in a waste howling wilderness. And we're all little Jacobites here. Jacobites, if you let me say that. Spiritual Israelites. He found him in a waste howling wilderness. And he led him about. Who led him about providentially? God did. And what was God doing as he was leading him around? Instructing him. He led him about and instructed him and kept him as the apple of his eye. God is leading this people. Remember what Moses said in Deuteronomy 8 2? To this people after the 40 years wandering? Thou shalt remember all the way. Remember. Do you know why we get in sorrow circumstance where we're discontent? Because we forget that God's promised to always be with us and take care of us. That, 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 that's, that's a reason for a lot of our stress and anxiety and worry, right? We're not supposed to worry. We're supposed to be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. That's a good place to be in the Lord's keeping your, keeping us sane and keeping us on focus and keeping us where we're not so stressed and anxious and discontent. God is on His throne. God's got it covered. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. That means He's always with us. He's always going to take care of us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I've got a shepherd who's leading me about. The psalmist David said in Psalms 139, he says, Thou hast, thou compasseth my path and my lying down. He says, Thou beset me before and behind. He says, Whether shall I flee from thy spirit? Or whether shall I go from thy presence? He says, If I ascend up into heaven, behold, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and, 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 and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me. Thy hand shall hold me. See, God is leading us, holding us. He is providentially superintending our lives. Alright? That's why it may not be the Lord's will for me to say, you know what? I'm gonna move off to this city and I'm gonna buy and, you know, stay there a year and buy and sell and get gain. I shouldn't say that. I should say, if the Lord wills, then I'll live and do this or that because the Lord has a plan. He's leading us down the journey of our life. He's leading the children of Israel down the journey of their life. They're leading, he's leading them to a place by the Red Sea. And he said, Pharaoh's gonna come up behind you. He knows what's going on when we may not. But he told them beforehand, that's where you're to camp. The Lord's leading them. And after God delivered them across, 
They're saying, Lord is our man of war. He's our salvation. He's our high tower. He, he, he's our redeemer. And he's leading us. And you're guiding us. Now they're saying that. Now they remember that God's leading and guiding them down the journey of their life. But they kind of forgot it. They lost sight of that fact that he's always with them and he's leading them down the path of life. And when we, we can get in a bad situation when we forget that God is leading us. All right. God is before us, behind us. He compasseth our path. The Lord's my shepherd. He leads me behind, beside the still waters. Sometimes he may lead me in the valley of the shadow of death, which is not a fun thing. But even there, he says, thy rod shall, will, will hold me. You know, God still, uh, uh, the, thy rod shall comfort me, you see. Even in the valley of affliction, you see. In trial. Well, what happened after they sang the song of Moses? Well, well, three days later, <laughs> they go out, in the go out in the wilderness for three days later, and they come to a place called Mara, where they didn't have anything to drink. What they do? Did they reason? Well, the Lord's promised to provide for us. We're just going to patiently wait upon the Lord. Lord, give us to drink. You promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we're, we're just waiting on you. They didn't say that. They weren't thinking that. They kind of forgot about God. And they just started looking at their circumstances. And they started murmuring and complaining. Right? Because there's no... Let's just read what he says. Here in Deuteronomy. Verse 22. I'm sorry. I said Deuteronomy. We're still in Exodus. Exodus 14. They crossed the Red Sea. The Egyptian and the horses uh, drowned. Chapter 15 is the Song of Moses. Look in 15, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the names was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses saying, What shall we drink? We're going to die of thirst. Murmuring and complaining again. It's just been three days. It doesn't take very long to forget about God. It can take about three seconds if we let it, right? If we're not careful. Our minds get busy, don't they? I mean, you're working, you're doing all these things. You're not thinking about the Lord. Oh, they start murmuring and complaining. We don't have anything to drink. Which God, they cried unto the Lord. Verse 25. And the Lord showed him a tree, which when they had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. You know what they were doing? They brought them to a test. Alright, you're in a, you're in a, you're in a difficult situation. We come to difficult situations in our life and sometimes it's a test. Because I'll say again, we're in school. Remember what Paul says, I've learned to be content. He says, everywhere and in all things that come in his life, he says, I'm instructed. He's learning how to be full. He's also learning how to be hungry. He's learned how to be abased. 
also how to abound. But the main lesson he's learning is, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Which means, it's not coming from me. It's not in my own strength. And I'm providing, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. The lesson of God's school is that we're completely, 100% dependent upon God. Upon Him taking care of us. Because if He doesn't take care of us, we'll not be taken care of. Alright? But He's promised, I'll never leave you. I'm always going to be with you. I'll always, never forsake you. I'll always take care of you. And I'll provide for your needs. Because you're not out here alone. See, we're not out here alone. We think, well, you're out here alone. No. I'm going to tell you what. I remember over in, uh, I'm going to, in, in Isaiah chapter 46. Verse 3 says, Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age I am he, and even to your whore hairs will I carry you. I have made, I will bear, even I will carry and deliver you. He's saying the God of glory, who's, who, who's loved you with an everlasting love, that He has loved you and He's been carrying you from the time you were born to the time you die, even to your gray hairs. I am He. I've made you. I'm bearing you along life's journey providentially. I'm the one that's carrying you along. I'm the one that's never leave you nor forsake you. I'm taking care of your needs whether you realize it or not. Wake up, folks. I We're in God's school. I'm, I work there at Texas A&M University. Sometimes there's kids come through there and they don't think they realize they're in school. They're there for partying and this, that, and the other and don't attend class and things like that. They're wasting their education. Well, God forbid, God let help us that we not waste our education in the school of life. He says that God found Jacob in a waste-howling wilderness. He led him about and instructed him. We're all receiving instruction every day of our life as God would providentially lead us along. He leadeth me, O blessed thought. Sometimes still waters, sometimes over troubled seas, but yet tis Lord thy God that leadeth me. I'm not going to murmur nor repine, but content with whatever lot I see, for that thou my God art he that leadeth me. You can only have, be delivered from murmuring and complaining by being content, and you'll never be content unless you realize and remember that God providentially He's in charge and He's leading me down the journey of my life. I forget that. I'm going to be discontent and I'll start murmuring and complaining. Alright? Well, He showed Moses this tree when He put it in the waters. The waters are made sweet. Well, that's good. Well, turn to chapter 16. They came to a place just a few, about a month and a half later. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Okay, back to their old tricks. We're going to murmur and complain. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, 
And when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they start murmuring and complaining again. Because they came to the place. Why? Well, they didn't have anything to eat now. You know, I got a rumbling in my tummy and uh, I had a rumbling out my mouth. I'm complaining. Because they didn't have anything to eat. Well, see, what they needed to realize and remember is they're not just out there on their own, but God is providentially leading them down the journey of their life. All right. Go back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God hath led thee these forty years in the wilderness. What was his purpose? One of his purposes was to humble them. You know, when God teaches me the lesson that Vince really can't take care of himself, that if I'm taken care of, it's going to have to be God that's going to do it, that's kind of humbling, right? That I'm at the mercy of God. It's really, you know, Jesus said on one occasion, without me, you can do nothing. And when God proves it to me, that's kind of humbling. I'm weak. I'm insufficient. I don't keep myself, but He keeps me. He says, remember all the days, all the years. He says, I led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee. See, there's a purpose to humble us, to show our dependence upon God, which is an humbling thing. To humble thee. I've led you these 40 years to humble thee. To prove thee, that means a test. See, in school there's tests, right? How much did you learn? I may come into a difficulty walking through the valley of the shadow of death and Vince, are you going to trust in the Lord? Are you looking to the Lord to deliver you, Vince? Or are you trying to deliver yourself through your own might or through your own wisdom? God can bring us to a test. He brought the children of Israel to a test as they're walking down the journey of life. He says, "You, I've led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee. That means to test to know what was in your heart, whether you would would uh, keep my commandments or no. And he says, He humbled thee and He suffered thee to hunger. We, we just read there in Exodus 16 where He brought them to a place they didn't have anything to drink. That's what God's doing providentially. He says, He, he, says he humbled thee and He suffered thee to hunger and then He fed thee with manna. Why, Lord? Why didn't He just... Feed them manna at the beginning before they got hungry. Because he's trying to teach them. He's instructing them. And in this school of life, God will bring them to a place by the Red Sea. The Egyptians have enclosed them in. And they cannot save themselves. And then God delivers them. They come to a place three days later where they don't have anything to drink. We don't have water. We can't live without water. And then God provides their need. And then God suffered them to hunger, brought them to a place in Exodus 16 where they didn't have anything to eat, and then He gave them manna. That's when God gave manna. Exodus 16. Gave them manna to eat. God is teaching them. And they got in trouble when they each of those times when they forgot about God. If you go to... Uh, Psalms 106. 
which is a commentary, one of the a couple of the Psalms that have some commentary about the travels of the children of Israel out of Egypt. Verse 9 says, He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up, so He led them through the depths as through a wilderness. And He saved them from the hand of Him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Exodus 14, we just read that, didn't we? Then, believed they His words, they sang His praise. They sang the song of Moses, Exodus 15. So then, they believed His word, they sang His praise, but look at the next verse. They soon forgot His works. They waited not for His counsel. Three days later, they'd forgotten. Forgotten. There is a very good reason in Deuteronomy 8.2 that Moses had this second generation before they're going into the land. Very good reason he tells them in Deuteronomy 8.2, Thou shalt remember, remember all the way which the Lord thy God hath led thee these forty years in the wilderness. So because we forget. We get our eyes off the Lord. And we forget about God and that He is leading us down the journey of our life. Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. In Psalms 144, Verse 11 says, Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. This is, this is a prayer, okay, of the psalmist David. <clears throat> he says that, uh, our, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. And he describes a, a, some good things here. You know, on his children... He says that our sons may be plant, plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. And that sounds so nice and grand. You want your daughters to do well, your sons to do well. That our garners uh, may be full, uh, uh, affording all manner of store. That's your grain bins. You know, everybody likes the grain bins full, right? You want your sons and daughters prospering, your grain bins full. Uh, he's praying that, uh, uh, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets. You know, your livestock's doing well. He says that our oxen may be strong to labor. You like to see your livestock doing well, or sheep doing well, the grain bins filled to the full, your, your children doing well. He's praying for all of that. And he says that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. Complaint. Well, I don't know why he brings that in right there, but he does. I mean, that's a good thing that there's no complaining in our streets. <clears throat> you know, the Bible says in the 21... Uh, uh, I just thought of this. I'm not picking on the women. By my mind, I remember over in Proverbs 21, verse 9, it says uh, <clears throat> something to the effect that it's better to stay at, to uh, dwell upon a housetop than in in a, with a brawling woman in a wide house. That means complaining. Contentious. Alright? And you can flip that around. Same thing with a, with a man. 
But I'm going to tell you, nobody likes complaining in the streets. It's very interesting that he says, Lord, bless my sons, my daughters, uh, my grain bins to be filled, and that the, uh, you know, my sheep and my livestock doing well, and there's, there's no murmuring in the streets. Alright? But I want to close with, uh, back to the promise. And just, let, let, there's something at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want to get one, I want to finish that out just for a moment. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God hath led thee these forty years in the wilderness to prove thee, to know thee. He said, He suffered thee to manna. He, 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 he suffered thee to hunger, fed thee with manna. He says, Your shoes didn't wax old. All those things. He says also here at the end, after he says, Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. A very, which may, this next verse may sound very peculiar. He says, Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Which you might on the outset think that's, that's in the wrong place. Why does he bring that up? He brings up chastening not because it's punishment, but you know the idea of chastening is instruction, is it not? Uh, chastening is to instruct us. He's just said right here that as the Lord's leading you, teaching you, proving you, you should consider that as a father chasteneth his son, the Lord's chastening or giving you instruction. Okay? Instruction. He found Jacob at a waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him and kept him at the apple of his eye. Now back to Philippians chapter uh, 4. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. See, we're in the school of life. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. He says, I know how to be abased. He says, I know how to abound. And what I want to emphasize right here, he says, everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed. Paul, why are you instructed in everything and every place you go? Because God's leading us along in life all the time. All the time. So my parting message is, don't forget God. When we forget God, we get in trouble. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. So that we may boldly say, the Lord's my helper, I'll not fear. David says in Psalms 118 verse 6, he says, the Lord is on my side, I'll not fear. God is before us, he's behind us, his hand's upon us, he's leading us. We can't get away from him because he's a good father. And he's leading us down life's journey and he's a good father to teach us. To teach us and instruct us. We're all little Jacobites. God found Jacob in a waste howling wilderness. He led him about and instructed him and he kept him. And God keeps us in his care. Don't forget God. May God bless you is my prayer.